1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and chapter 5. I want to read verses 16 through, oh, let me go through verse 24. 16 through verse 24. Hear the word of God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body become blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. We've come to the end of this, this letter. And, and, uh, and Paul, certainly not uncharacteristically of him, that is, this is something that he often does at the end of a letter, he kind of lays out a series of commands. You get the sense that he's made his main point, and now before he ends, he's going to, in sort of staccato-like fashion, clip off these various commands. He does it here. Rejoice always, pray without seeking, give thanks in all circumstances, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, uh, test everything, hold fast that which is good, abstain from every sort of evil. So we, we read that and, and we wonder, why is it, Paul, that you've laid it out like this, these particular things like this to the church in Thessalonica and hence ultimately to us, to us as well. Well, surely we would say that we are to be, as Christians, a rejoicing people, a praying people, a thankful people, a people that, who do not quench or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit, who, who are willing listeners to that which is from God, do not despise prophesying, but, but for those who understand that we must test to make sure that that which is spoken in the name of the Lord really is from the Lord. And, and when we discern that, then we're to hold it fast. And this then is to keep us from all kinds of all forms of evil. That is that we may do good. I mean, that's the, the sense of it. Surely we'd agree with that. We're to be a rejoicing people as we read through the scripture. You can't help but, but, but get that. The scripture says that we're to be a people filled with joy. We read through the Psalms and it says, shout for joy, right? Sing for joy. The shouting and singing are to be expressions of the joy that we have. And, and, and you see, this, this joy isn't, isn't a happiness or a cheerfulness of disposition per se. It can be reflected in that from time to time. But it's really a state of mind. It's a condition of being. It's, it's who we are, this sense of joy. Joy is that feeling, if it's a feeling, that condition of one's heart that's true. When we know that we're secure. When we know that our lives have purpose. When we know that life for us is good. See, that, that, that's joy. That, that, that's, that's the very source of it. it. It comes from that. We're to be such, such people. And, and all of that, as I've said a million times, it seems to me at least already this morning to you, but I've been thinking about it for quite some time, that the very source of this joy is, is, is in who God is and in what he's done and who we are because of 
what he's done. See, that's the security of it all. In fact, it, it comes to us through Jesus. You remember the angels. We're going to begin Advent next Sunday, so my mind sort of turned there. But, but, but you remember the angels, the, the, the announcement they made concerning the birth of Jesus. This is good news for great joy to all people. This gospel, this epic event, this great news is to result in joy, right? This sense of security, this sense that life is good. All of that to us. We're to, we're to know that and, and, and the gospel brings that to us, what God has done for us and who we are because of what he's done for us. So we're to be people of, of joy. Jesus, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, spoke much to his disciples about this this joy. In chapter 15 of John's Gospel, verse 11, it says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. You see, Jesus said, I'm filled with joy even though I'm about to go to the cross. I'm secure. I know the purpose that God has for this. And I know that purpose is good. I know good will come. And so, you see, I have joy as I face this. Now, I'm telling you about this, and I'm telling you about your lives, so that this joy that is in me, Jesus says, will be made complete in you. Chapter 16 and verse 22. Jesus says, So also... You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, presumably after the resurrection. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. He says, after you see me because of what I've done, because of who you are, because of what I've done in the midst of that, no one will be able to take this real condition of heart that says I'm secure, that I'm loved There's purpose. That purpose is good. No one will be able to take that from you ever. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Verse 24 says, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He says you you can pray and this praying in my name will make sure that you'll have joy. You'll know that you belong. You know that you're loved. You're secure and all of that. And you know the purpose that I have for you is good. And that purpose will be fulfilled. That's this sense of joy. And when this gospel comes to people, we see great rejoicing. Uh, the, the disciples, Acts chapter 2, uh, as, as they gather together after, after Pentecost, after the coming of the Spirit. Uh, when they're sitting under the teaching of the disciples and, they, and the apostles and they get it. You see, they understand all of that. Uh, what, what does it say about them? They're praising God. That is a sense of rejoicing. You remember the man who was healed by the gate when the, Peter and John came to him. And, and he, was, he, was, he was lame. And, 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 and they, they said, silver and gold we haven't got. But, but what we have we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And what does it say about him? It says that he leapt for joy. You know, he was rejoicing. He was praising he was praising God. Even when the, when the disciples of Jesus were called into the authorities and threatened with their very lives, when they left that event, what does it say of them? It says that they rejoiced. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name 
as it's put, for the very name of Christ. They were named with Christ, and that thrilled their souls. Why? Because we, we do belong to God through Jesus. We are secure in that. He does love us. We are his, and there's nothing greater, better than that. So no matter what happens, still we have this this joy, you see. When the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, he left what? Rejoicing, filled with joy. That was the sense of when Paul writes to the church in Philippi, a suffering church, even as Paul himself is in prison. What does he say to them over and over and over and over again? He says, rejoice. In fact, again, he says, rejoice. And then he says, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice, right? Because you're a people whose condition is that of joy. Express it, you see. Rejoicing is the expression of that, of that joy. We're to be a joyful people. And this, this joy isn't something manufactured. It's something that is real because of who God is. In his wisdom. And in his power. And in his goodness. And how his wisdom and power and goodness is expressed in Jesus Proven in Jesus, if you will, as the wisdom of God Jesus is, as the power of God Jesus is, as the goodness of God Jesus is. And then who we are because of that. Children of God. We belong to him. Forgiven our sins. Adopted into his family. He tells us that he's at work in his sovereign good wisdom to work every event for good. So regardless of the circumstance, you see, he says good will come. The purpose is good always for us. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, if I'm for you, for you who can be against you? This is love. Not that you loved me, but that I loved you and I gave my son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins, you see. You can be that certain, that secure. And that great expression, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, you see. He says, listen, look what I've done. How can you not trust? How can you not have joy in these various circumstances. Oh, it isn't that you're laughing in the midst of tragedy, but there's something within you that says, yes, I have this hope. And that hope is for good, and it will come, and you can't take that from me. Rejoice, he said, always. Pray without ceasing. We're to be a praying people. There's no question about that, is there? But to be a praying people, a praying person is a person like the woman. Remember, I, I read that. It, it's, it's kind of a startling parable of Jesus, isn't it? When he talks about this woman who goes to this unjust judge and she, she needs justice. And, 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 and the end result in that parable for her is that she so bothers the judge that he says, I'll get no sleep, essentially. I'll get no rest from this woman unless I give her what she wants, so I will. I don't fear God. I don't even like her, but I'm going to give it to her because she's just troubling me. And we think, Jesus, what are you saying about praying? He's saying, yes, it's to be without ceasing at all times. 
But it isn't that it's bothersome to God because God isn't like that unjust judge. But there is something here for us. And, and that is, why was she, why did she go to the judge in the first place? Well, she went to this judge in the first place, even though he was unjust, is because she knew that she had a need for justice and he was the only one to grant it. She had no hope outside of him. And, and, and so she went to him. And why did she keep going to him? Because she had no hope outside of him. And so she would go. And the need was persistent. It was consistent. It, it continued on. So her request continued on. Now, the good news for us is that God isn't like that unjust judge. And he says, if she'll do that to get what she needs, and if the judge will give it because he's bothered, how much more will a gracious heavenly father speedily give us justice, give us that which we need? So why aren't you asking, he says? Why aren't you praying? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, our praying is an expression of our faith. And it's an expression of our faith to say, God, you have all that I need. And you're the only one who has what I need. You're the only one who has forgiveness of sins. You're the only one who has the help that I need in order to face the world that I live in, in order to, to walk in holiness and all of that. And, and so I need that. And I need it every single day. Just because I, I did okay today doesn't mean I'm free and clear for tomorrow. I wake up me again, right? And I wake up, therefore, in need of the help, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God. I need it. And for all that he calls us to, to be his witnesses in the world, I need it tomorrow. And so I need to pray again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Always without ceasing. You see, that's the very attitude that I have. But, but, but I know, you see, that, that, that I can come to him. Why? Because of who he is, because of what he's done in Jesus, and because of who I am, because of what, I, what he's done. I'm a child of God. And as such, you see, I have access to him. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, so I, I, he says, come on, keep coming. I'll never stop listening. I'll never stop receiving you. Don't cease in your praying. And you see, I'm your heavenly father. If you ask me for bread, I won't give you a stone. If you ask me, I will give you that which you really need. So keep coming to me. We're to be a rejoicing, praying, thankful people. Our call to worship, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thanksgiving and rejoicing, you see. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His faithfulness continues, you see. To all generations. He's good. He's faithful to his word. And we're thankful, you see, for that. We're thankful people. And we've said this so many times. And I trust you have it. But, but we say this so many times that, that, that our thankfulness, being grateful, is based upon a comparison between what we have and what we deserve to have. A comparison between what we have 
and what we did to get it. You see, when we compare what we have as believers to what we deserve to have, we realize that we deserve death, but we have life. We deserve hell, but we have heaven. We deserve to be orphaned, but we're adopted. We deserve justice, but we receive forgiveness. And then when you think about what we did to get that, we realize we did nothing but resist it. Right? We did nothing but go against it. And yet somehow... It's been given to us. And so we realize that we've been rescued even though we didn't even know we needed it. And God rescued us, you see. That's why we're thankful. And we can be thankful then, you see, in every situation, in every circumstance, because we know that we belong to him. And no matter what else is going on, we know that we always belong to him. We belong to this one who loves us. We belong to this one who is wise. We belong to this one who is powerful. We belong to this one who is good. And so always in the midst of every circumstance, we can be thankful. And then he says, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing statement. He's saying, this is, this is my will for you. This is what I desire for you. This, this is what I'm doing in your life. I, I want, God says, I want you. I'm making you to be a rejoicing, praying, thankful person. That's my, you want to know what my will is for you? My will is that you be filled with joy. That you really know that I love you. That you really know that you belong to me, that you really know that you're my child, that you really know that my, I gave my son to die for you. You really know that so that that fills you with joy. You really know that I am at work to bring good in every situation. You really know that. So when you're going through something, you've got this pilot light of joy in your gut that says, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give in or I can be discouraged. I'm going to continue to walk in this because you see, I know this. He said, that's what I want for you. And I want you to be a praying person. I want you to realize that I always want to listen to you. I want you to realize that you always have my ear if you come to me in the name of my son, Jesus. I want you never to think you can't come to me. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like to really know that as, as a people, to know that God, the holy, great, sovereign God of the universe, listens to us? I mean, we know that. If, if I ask you, you, does God listen to you? You can go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to really know that, to really live like that, he says, that's my will for you. I want you to really know that. And I want you to be a person who's grateful. Grateful because you know what you've been given and you're secure in it. That you be grateful in it. So, so clearly we're to be a rejoicing, praying, 
thankful people. That's God's will for us. We know that we're not to quench the Holy Spirit, you know, put out the Spirit's fire. That, 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 that would be a no-brainer if you were taking a multiple choice on being a Christian and the question, you know, true, false. You know, how about that? You, know, you should quench the Holy Spirit. You'd say false, right? We know that. But, but then he ties that expression of quenching the Holy Spirit to not despising prophecies. You see, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. What happens? People prophesy. What's that? We have a sense that prophecy is prediction, predicting the future. Not really. There's some of that as we read through the scripture. But that isn't the guts. That isn't really the heart of what, what it means that there's prophecies. Prophecies means to tell that which is true about God. To speak that which is the will of God. That's what prophecy is. Old Testament prophets did that. And in the course of that, they said, this is what is true of God. This is what's true of you. Therefore, this is what's going to happen. But the heart of it was to know God, the heart and mind of God. That's what prophecies were. That's what happens when someone prophesies. On the day of Pentecost, when they're prophesying, the scripture says they're telling the wondrous things of God. That's what's happening in the whole whole Acts 2 situation. There's tongues of fire and all of that. They're speaking the great wondrous things of God. And then what does the Apostle Peter do on the day of Pentecost? Well, he preaches this sermon. And what's the heart of the sermon? The heart of the sermon is the will of God. It's what's true concerning God. So he walks Israel through their history, speaks of Jesus. And then he calls them to repentance, you see. That's the will of God. And, and he's prophesying in, in, the midst of, in the midst of all that. And you see, we're always, as believers, to be ready and willing, open, if you will, desiring to hear the very truth, the very word of God. We know that. That's certainly true. So he says, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophesying. Positive side of that. Be open, willing, ready, anxious, desiring to hear that which is true of God. But we know we must be careful. And probably had to be careful in Thessalonica. We, we know that there was some bizarre teaching, it, it sounds like. Concerning the second coming of Jesus, some things never change. Uh, and, and so, so, so there's difficulties there, you see. So he says, so test everything. And you say, well, how do you test it? How do you test these prophecies? Well, we know as we read through the scriptures, there's, there's ways, if you will, to discern that which is, that which is true. Does it, how does it stack up with everything else in the scripture? In the word of God, as Paul was preaching, he went to Berea. The Bereans, it says, you know, they searched the scriptures to make sure everything he was saying was true. We do that. We, we take this word of God and, that someone brings to us and, and we run it through the scripture. Is this true here in the context of what is true, what has always been true? What's in this authoritative word of God? We stack it up to the scripture. Now we know that things are different in the days in which we lived in the days of Paul. In the sense that we do have the scripture complete. There aren't any apostles writing scripture in the same way that the apostles wrote the scripture, the New Testament scripture uh, in these days. uh, That uh, now if there's a prophetic word, if there's a prophecy, even in the a teaching, a sermon, that, that we don't add that to our Bibles, right? 
Some of you make notes, it's good, but, but make sure you distinguish the words I say and the words that are in the Bible, right? Uh, the other ones are really the important ones. And anything I say only is important as it confirms, it's consistent with that which is in the scripture. We know that. So he's tested according to everything that's, that's been taught, everything that's been laid out in the scripture. So we do that. The Apostle John speaks to his people, the people to whom he was writing about this test. John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And so John lays this out and he says, says, make sure that any who come to you with this word of from God, speak the truth, make sure they're right about Jesus. If they're not right about Jesus, then don't listen to them. So we remember, we know that Jesus is from God. Man, God. If they miss that, then don't listen to them, you see. And it's, it's you know, if we look, you know this, if you, if you look at cults, if you look at those who are aberrations from truth, very often it surrounds this understanding of who Jesus is. Is. And it's amazing to me how tenuous that test can even be. It wasn't so long ago that there was a politician in the U.S. who was Mormon, that is, came from a uh, religion that doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. And the big question was, are Mormons Christians? And it was asked even by some good evangelical people, because they got confused, because they liked the politician, wanted him for president. Who knows? He could have been a great president. I don't know. It's not my But the point is, why are you even asking that question? But it's, it's tenuous, you see. But he says, no, 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 don't listen to anything as a word of God from one who doesn't have the right understanding of who Jesus is. And so how do you test? Well, you test according to the whole scripture. You test according to whether or not there's a good understanding of who Jesus is, you see. And so that's this second test. And then the gospel, well, how does it stack up with what is being taught? How does it stack up with the gospel? Paul writes to the church in Galatia, some very stunning words. And he says to them, if, if whatever gospel others are preaching isn't the same gospel that I, that is that Paul preaches or the apostles preached, then he's to be accursed. You see, it's that obviously fundamental to who we are. If this gospel isn't a gospel of free grace, if it isn't a gospel of grace as opposed to that which we do, if it isn't good news that says this Jesus came for us, as us, to live and to die, that we might live. 
If it isn't that, you see, then it isn't the real gospel. So don't listen. And then there is what Jesus himself said about false prophets. He says, you'll know them. This is Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. He says, you'll know them by their fruits, by their own lives. So you see, don't listen to a stranger. Make sure you know something about this person's life, the fruit of it, and the fruit of this person's ministry, his his prophecies. Where do these prophecies lead people? Do they edify the church? Do they lead to conviction of sin? Do they to lead to peace, purity, and unity of the church? Where do they lead, you see, people? So test all of these things. And then, of course, hold fast then that which is good. And then even the best preachers, teachers, prophecies, if you will, among us, there's, there's spurious things. And so, you know, I always, I pray every Sunday morning, God, expel from their minds everything I say that isn't right, you see. And uh, I trust he will do that. Um, because we, we all know there's stuff we get wrong. And so he says, he says, hold fast then, you see, that which is good, which is right. Because you see, it's that that will enable you to abstain from every form of evil, positive, to do every good. Now, I don't think that's Paul's main point. All right? Now, it's all true, give or take, you know. It's all true that we are to be a rejoicing people always, that we are to be a praying people without ceasing, that we are to be a thankful people in every circumstance, that I individually am to be that, you are to be that, that we're not to quench the spirit, but we're to to take hold of the good that comes from that which is the word of God, and and we're to to, to hold fast to it, and uh, we're to live it out uh, and do good. And all that's true, but I think what Paul is saying is, that we're to do all of that, not only individually, but together. And the reason that I say that I think that's his real primary emphasis here goes like this. One, the context. We've been saying from verse 12 that, that Paul is, 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 is taking his theme of that we're to be kept by God, that we're to persevere in the faith. And that we're to be sanctified, that is to grow in godliness. He's taking all of that and, and he's saying, all right, we're to live this out now in the context as brothers and sisters, in the context of church. So remember, verse 12 was, here's, here's the way the church, here's the way our family is structured. There's leaders, there's those who are over us in the Lord and we're to respect and esteem them, love them in the Lord, you see, and, 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 and all that. So, so, so that's the first thing. If we're gonna, if we're gonna be kept, if we're gonna persevere, if we're gonna, grow in holiness, then we have to be in right relationship, obviously, with God, but we have to be in right relationship with those who are over us, you know, so that that they can help us. And then he goes from there and and he says we're to to, to be patient with everyone and we're to live in peace with one another. And so so, so in the context of, of persevering in the faith, in the context of Growing in godliness, you see, uh, we're, to, we're to be patient, even with those who are unruly, to admonish them, those who are 
who are faint-hearted, we're to encourage them. Those who are weak, we're to strengthen them, you know, encourage them, help them, uh, be, at, be patient, be at peace with each other. Even to the point of those who do evil, we're to not do evil in return, but to do good to them. See, all of this happens in the context of our life together. And now then he lays out these, uh, these, these other commands about, about rejoicing, about praying, about giving thanks, about not despising prophesying and quenching the spirit and, and, and about all of that. Uh, I think he still has in mind this context. We're to live this out together. All the verbs here are plural, not singular. They're plural, which, which could simply mean that all of you are to do this, but it could also mean that would be the way to express, this is for us to do this together. This is life together. In fact, Ralph Martin, who's a guy who studies uh, church history and, and, and worship in the early church, in, in a little book called Worship in the Early Church, aptly titled, he says, these elements of rejoicing, of praying, of giving thanks, and of heeding the word of God, these are elements, headings really, of a worship service throughout all the early church, throughout church history. That's why you may not have noticed, because I don't expect you to notice these things, but I, I even, I actually changed something in the bulletin. And, and so the first heading, instead of being entrance into the worship of God, which it always is, says rejoice always. And then as we come to our praying, I, I, I took out the prayers of the people and I put pray without ceasing. And then when it comes to this section here, I, I put the welcome and the dedication of the offering in the wrong place, but that was my fault. Um, and then for, for the word of God, which I normally have as the heading, I put do not despise prophecies. It's a rather odd heading, isn't it? But, but, but that's the point, you see. That, that's it. When we come together, these are the kinds of things that are happening. So when he says rejoice always, he means every time you come together, you should be rejoicing as a people. Pray without ceasing. Every time you come together, you need to be praying. Don't stop praying when you come together. Never gather and not pray, you see. And, 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 and when you come to, together, don't quench the spirit, but rather heed the word of God. Don't despise the word that's going to come to you. Listen to it. Test it. You see? Together. Test it. Hold fast. And, and then leave this place as people together doing that which is good, you see. And so we're to do all of this together. Now the question is why? Why must we do it together? Why is it necessary for our perseverance? And that's a significant thing. He says, listen, if you're going to persevere in the faith, one of the means by which you're going to persevere is to be worshiping together. You need to do this together. This will enable you to persevere. That's been, after my various years in ministry, that's held true, what I've found is that people who worship, really worship, very regularly, this becomes life for you, persevere. People who don't, though they've made a profession of faith, don't persevere. It's just true. The growing godliness, he says. If you're going to grow in godliness, you need these moments, these times of gathering. So how does that really work? Well, we know Sabbath. We know in the very plan of God, he says to us, 
You're to stop one day in seven to gaze upon him. Now, that's necessary, you see, for human beings. It's just in our DNA for human beings, unbelievers, who don't do that. They get everything out of whack. It's hard enough for us who do it to keep everything in perspective. But you see, when we stop one day in seven and gaze upon God, what do we realize? We realize, oh, I'm not in charge here. Oh, I'm not God here. Oh, I need him. You see, he's provider. I'm submitter, if you will. He's over, I'm under. And all that, you see, is good. Oh, that is good. He's protector, I'm protectee. Right? He's the supplier, I'm the receiver. And it's so easy Monday through Saturday to get that all turned around. I get the impression that it's all my hard work, that it's all my doing, that everything rests on my shoulders. And by Saturday, I can be pretty pretty down in the dumps about that. I can be pretty under that. You do that for a number of weeks, my whole perspective of life gets transformed. And I begin to think that it all depends upon me. He says, no, 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 no. You can't go seven days without thinking about this. At the end of the sixth or the beginning of the rest of the week, however you do that, he says, I want you to make sure you stop and gaze upon me. And so we do it on Sundays because in stopping and gazing upon God on Sundays, what we're doing is stopping and gazing upon God through Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus. And we see everything in that light as believers. And we say, yes, of course, I do belong to him. He does love me. I do have access to him. You see, I am forgiven. I am his child. I am secure. He is at work. And you can make the list of all the confusing and difficult situations. And he will bring good. And you see, that's exactly what we need if we're going to rejoice, if we're going to pray, if we're going to give thanks. You see, the the way that one rejoices always isn't by mustering up rejoicing and joy. The way that one prays isn't by some manufactured way of, of praying or giving thanks. No, no, no. The way that we you do that is we take our eyes off ourselves. And think about him. He's the one in whom we rejoice. He's the one to whom we pray. He's the one uh, to whom we give thanks. Why? Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. And because who we are. Because of what he's done. We rejoice. And we pray. It's necessary for us to stop and do that. We won't Do that alone. He knows we need the group activity. We need to stop together and gaze. Not only that, but my rejoicing and my praying and my giving thanks needs you. Uh, Old people need to see young people rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks because we say, it's still happening. It's still working. It's not going to die with my generation. And young people need to see old people rejoicing and praying and giving thanks and listening to the word so they can say, even after all these years, 
and they can see themselves. This is really scary for them. They can see themselves in the lives of the old people and they think there is perseverance. God does keep people in him. There really is, you see, growth in godliness. It really does happen. And we need to see each other in the midst of tragedy. Rejoice. I need to know that when tragedy comes my way, I will still rejoice and pray and give thanks and listen to God's word. And so you see, when you are going through trouble and I see you worshiping and listening, I've shared this before. Many of you know that when Karen was in the hospital a number of years ago and dying, as they told me, people ask me, what would we have done if she had died? And I said, we, meaning I and my family, would worship. We'd be sad, but we would worship. Because, oh, if she had died, that would have changed. But the very fact that we belong to God and he loves us and cares for us and working good, that would not have changed. So we worship, you see. And in the hopes that other people would see that God sustains And if we don't do this together, no one would see it. We need to see it. I need to see you pray when you're really discouraged. I need to see you worship when tragedy strikes. And you need to see it in me. This sustains us. Alone we die. And then you see, this is the perfect place to test prophecies. You see, there's great danger in false teaching. If you read through the scripture, what's the theme that keeps recurring? What's the great danger? The great danger always is false teaching. Because you see, it's what we believe that anchors us. It's what we believe by faith that anchors us and and connects us, if you will, Better to God, you see. And if we get that wrong at that place, what we believe, then everything is wrong. And so we have to be careful. That's why throughout the scriptures, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, guard this gospel. You get the sense that he's saying, guard it with your life. And Jude writes, he says, I'm writing to those who's, who's defended this, contended for this faith that was once delivered to the saints. We have to keep this generation to generation to generation. And we have to keep this in the context of our own lives. We get that wrong. Everything goes wrong. And so there's always a danger. I'm careful who I read. I'm careful where I listen to. Careful Because I, I don't want to believe the wrong things you see. And so he says this testing isn't an individual activity so much as a group activity. And so you see these prophecies and we've pretty much says well that'll be preaching that'll be tested words those will be tested people who stand up and speak you see that'll be teachers who've been tested whose lives we know who've been examined why to keep us safe 
And so he says, all right, here we come. You don't need to be anxious. You can listen. So we can hold that which is good. And so that together we can live this out, you see. The apostle says, worship. Together. Don't miss it. It's necessary for you to be kept, for you to grow in godliness, and for me. Let's pray, Father in heaven, for me, for us, I pray, that you would, in fact, enable us to keep the faith, enable us to grow in godliness. Father, can we never cease coming together to rejoice to pray, to give thanks, to heed the word of God. And this I pray in Jesus' name.